Now, introducing the queen of men's health. Welcome to the Ali Gilbert Podcast, where you'll find the premier men's health info delivered to you the only way I know how, truthful and raw, with the occasional boner joke thrown in. If you guys like this episode, subscribe to my YouTube and slide in the DMs on Instagram and join the party. We already recorded half of what would have been an awesome conversation. <laughs> Will uh, Branham, uh, uh. what's up? <laughs> what's happening? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. 20 minutes later. Um, you guys, I wanted to bring Will on because he is a retired Navy SEAL of 26 years. He's the owner of Naked Warrior Recovery, and he will be speaking at the Silverback Summit live in November, this, um, this November in Austin, Texas. But I wanted to talk to him today to just discuss his history, his history with uh, creating his brand and what he does and just tell random stories because that's what's entertaining. But he comes to us today hailing from Hawaii, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. 100%. We're only only six hour time, six time zones apart. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad. It's like three o'clock here in the afternoon and morning there. Yeah, exactly. So how long have you been in Hawaii? Um, at August 1st will be 10 years. Oh, wow. And, and what was the impetus to move there? So there's a SEAL team out here that not very many people know about. Even, even within the SEAL teams, it's not talked about a lot. Like people know about it. And it's a, it's a very, we have a very special mission out here. Um, you know, my first SEAL team was the sister team of this team that no longer exists on the east coast it's called the seal delivery vehicle team and so we have seals who drive this little mini underwater submarine it's completely full of water you put you know a pilot and a navigator in the front you put four guys in the back with all your equipment or whatever you're going to go do for your mission and you go underwater for hours at a time sometimes in quite frigid water you get where you're going you get out you go do the thing you come back you get back in the sdv if you can find it underwater you know two or three days later hopefully you can, uh, and then go back to this, you know, nuclear powered submarine that got you where you were going somewhere in the world. And then, you know, you go back to wherever you started. And, uh, and so my first team was an SDV team. I was not happy about that. I wanted to be in a regular SEAL platoon, a regular SEAL team, um, you know, doing that job when I, when I graduated from SEAL training and, and, you know, my heart sank, of course, when I, when they read off the orders and they told me that I was going to, SEAL delivery vehicle team two uh, in Little Creek, Virginia. Very unhappy. But, uh, you, you know, they're, they're called orders for a reason. They're not called invitations. So I went and I did my time. Um, it did actually fast track me to become a sniper and then later on a sniper instructor. Um, and then I went to, you know, SEAL Team 10 and did a bunch of deployments out of there. Uh, then I was forced detailed out to, uh, out to the headquarters in California. And I started hearing about these missions that the SDV team in Hawaii was doing, and uh, but they couldn't tell me what they were doing, or they wouldn't tell me what they were doing. And I was like, "What are you doing? Like, I'm trying to like do support from the headquarters perspective, but I need to know more information. Like, you don't need to know. There's nothing that you need to know that we do that you need to know. I'm like, that's bullshit. I'm gonna fucking find out. So, <laughs> orders." it came time for me to pick orders or, or whatever. I start talking to my, you know, the, the command about where I want to go next. And I'm like, I want to go look behind the curtain of what they're doing out in Hawaii. So, uh, I, 
I got orders and and uh, about 10 years ago, I moved to Hawaii and I got to look behind the curtain. And I'm gonna tell you that what we were doing out here is the most unsexy mission on the planet. You know, kicking doors, shooting people in the face, super sexy. Uh, getting in a little mini submarine, going underwater for months at a time, uh, getting out in some part of the world. Like if you look at a globe and you look at all the countries that have a coastline, those are, that's where we could be. So you could just like figure that, like use that as use your imagination to kind of figure out where we might be going. And uh, so we would go to some of these pieces of dirt and we would do some stuff. And then we would get back in our little mini submarine and come back. Not super sexy, but uh, the strategic uh, impact to the United States uh, intelligence agencies was tremendous. It's so, so much that the missions that we did had to be approved by the president of the United States, because if things went really badly and we were compromised in some way, like that's an international incident, it, the, the biggest degree. So uh, very cool missions, but not sexy at all. Like, you know, like my buddy, Rob O'Neill, who shot bin Laden, that was approved by the president, super sexy mission, national security, blah, blah, whatever. Um, and it like, it was immediately announced on the news. You will never hear about what we did in any media ever. Um, so when you say mini submarine, like just how small are we talking? Like, um, I want to say, I used to know the dimensions off the top of my head, maybe three outside dimensions. I'll put it like this. If, uh, there's four guys sitting in, you sit side by side, you sit side by side like this. I'm touching the guy. My shoulders are, I'm smooshed up against the guy next to me. And um, the wall of the submarine is smashing against my other, the other side of me. So however wide two grown men are, that's how much space is, is in there. And so the other two guys are sitting in your lap. And you stayed like that for months? And you stay like that for hours at a time. And, you know, you'll wear, uh, depending on the mission, you might wear like a, a, a closed circuit rig on your front, which sticks out about, about, about this far. And then you might also have a bottle on your back for in the event that like the, the SDV goes super deep and you have to get out and you have to bail out of the boat. Um, so you can't go below 50 feet on, on hundred percent O2 it's non bubble thing. So, um, so you have a, a, a shit ton of gear on, uh, and if it's frigid water, you might have a dry suit plus all the insulation under it. There's zero maneuverability in there and oftentimes you know when you're in that boat and you have a regulator in your mouth and you're breathing compressed air while you're and you're on the bottom and the guy in front of you like kind of moves around there have been times where my regulator was ripped out of my mouth and uh and i had no breathing source so i had to like in the pitch darkness the most absolute darkness that you could absolutely ever imagine i'm like looking for my regulator floating with my hands to shove back in my mouth so after that happened the first time i for sure thought i was going to die thought i was going to drown underwater in a submarine like somewhere in a like who knows where and uh definitely scared and uh so now from that point on i always just like sat there like this with my hand over my regulator and it would still oftentimes get pulled out but i would have my other hand on the emergency regulator right over here. And I would have one, you know, in the event that I lose this one, I can shove this one in my mouth really quickly. Um, and then also communication underwater is 
near impossible because you can't talk. There's no speaking. Now we do have the ability to have a full face mask uh, and, and able to hear and talk. It's not very clear, but only one person in the back of the boat gets that. And that's the, the mission commander that's in the back. And he can communicate with the guys in the front, but you don't always, you don't always have that option. The other, the so you know we have these squeeze signals that we use, and we use uh, a little red light that sits right up here in between the the back two guys to communicate with the guys in the front. And it's basically a very simple uh, messaging system that we use. Is they'll you know they'll push the button from the front, it'll flash in the back one time. That's it. That's asking, are you okay? And so you start this sequence of squeezing, like the mission commander squeezes the guy next to him. One time, one squeeze, the guy next to him squeezes him back. Yep, I'm okay. The guy that just got squeezed reaches behind him, squeezes the guy behind him. One time, are you okay? Yep, I'm okay. That guy squeezes the guy next to him, and it comes back up to the mission commander. It's like playing telephone underwater. And then, okay, everyone's okay. If someone squeezes twice, that means no. Oh, well, I don't really know what to do after no. Like, give me more information. Uh, you know, and and uh, so three is like, we need to come up five feet because we can't clear our ears, you know, push the button three times and anyone can squeeze anyone and the, the person can just push the button three times. And if there's an emergency, you push the button four times or more. And uh, depending on where you are on the mission, we may not be able to come to the surface. So if there's an emergency and we're in some sort of enemy harbor somewhere and, uh, you know, maybe the guy's rig floods out and he can't breathe, maybe he's about to drown. Sorry, sorry, bro. Uh, you're just going to have to hold it until we get to where we can, you know, handle that. So, so there's a tremendous amount of planning and effort uh, that goes into some of uh, all of these missions. And how many of these did you do like a, a month? Um, it's, it's a very long planning process, depending on what platforms we're going to use, the authorities that we are, are trying to get in order to go to some of these areas um we we did a handful in the in the time that i was there i can't say numbers or or anything else but you know we did we did a handful and i'm sure everyone's wondering at, at least i am like how do you use the bathroom you're right there <laughs> if you got to go number two you better go before you go i mean you can go right there in your wetsuit or your dry suit but yeah you got to clean it up at the end of the day so I know that was like, you know, pertinent information that most people probably don't ask. So I will always ask the things other people. Don't. If you're, so if you're, if you're, if you're wearing a wetsuit, going pee is pretty easily. You just pee and you warm yourself up and then it gets cold again because a wetsuit provides a, a thin layer of, of water, which your body heats up and, 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 and warms up. But uh, going number two, sorry, you, you either got to hold it or you, I do know, I do have a buddy who did poop in his wetsuit and it went straight up his back. Ooh. And uh, he, he did the whole dive like that. And he was like, yep, it was pretty gross. And then I had to figure that out. I had to work that out when I got back to the, back to the pier. It was a training, it was a training dive, but uh, yeah, it's, but it, if you're wearing a dry suit, you actually put a, a, a condom on and uh, there's a pee tube that goes out and it sends water, you know, your, your pee out into the, into the ocean um, because you don't want to pee in a dry suit because it's dry. Right. You're wearing, you know, layers of, of insulation and, and things like that. That are not compressible so you can it's just not it's not awesome see these are the cool things that people don't know and now you guys know <laughs> and i'm sure that your day has been made <laughs> so how long have you been out i retired in uh august 1st of 2018 okay so that's five years so whatever that math five, is five six years 18 19 20 yeah. 21 two. 
Yeah, coming up on five years. That's crazy. I can't. Uh, I can't even conceptualize. I was say, it. Does it feel it like? It feels like it was. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. And I, obviously, I'm going to ask you stories, but we'll go kind of more in a chronological order. So I know that you had grown up in Mississippi, right? And yep. and was it from Mississippi straight into the Navy? Yeah. And what made you decide to go in? Well, I always knew I wanted to be part of some sort of. It's funny because I always. I grew up very poor, um, very insignificant, you know, kids at, in, you know, kids in Mississippi would call me poor white trash. Think about that. That's how poor and whatever I was. I, I didn't feel like I was very smart. Um, I later learned much later in life that I had, you know, pretty severe ADHD and, uh, just, it just is what it is. But my, my ability to focus on anything schoolwork related was, certainly not any good. Uh, I was put into some um, reading, what do you call it? Uh, advanced reading, uh, extra, extra help. Extra time. Uh, as a, <laughs> yeah, so it was, I was in the learning disability class. I was in the special kids class uh, for, for reading at times. And they're like, oh, you're, you're, you're reading is good enough. So they would kick me out, but I'd go back to regular class and they were like, your reading sucks. Go back over there. So it was kind of ping pong and back and forth. Uh, so I would consider myself to be not a smart kid, although, I, you know, looking back on it, maybe I was, I just didn't know how to learn. Um, and then, but I always knew I wanted to be part of some sort of small elite military organization, although I didn't know what that was. You know, my, my, uh, my role models or my, my heroes growing up, if you will, were like, you know, John Wayne was, uh, he was a, a Green Beret in the movie Green Berets in Vietnam. John Rambo was an army ranger. Uh, G.I. Joe was something, special forces something. Um, you know, there was no internet back in the day when when I was going through or when I was uh when I was a kid. Um and uh but I always knew I was heavily involved in the Boy Scouts. I always knew I wanted to be part of some sort of elite military organization, small unit. I didn't want to be part of like big army, big green machine out there. There was just too many people, too much chaos, too much. I didn't want to be a part of any of that. I wanted to be part of something small and special and 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 unique, and uh, and so I went to this Boy Scout jamboree, and there was a kid there. He was a very good swimmer, uh, and he was like he was like I'm gonna uh, when I when I graduate from high school, I'm gonna go to the Naval Academy. I'm gonna become an F-14 Tomcat pilot, like the movie Top Gun, and I'm gonna become a Navy SEAL. I'm like that's cool. I want to do that. What's a Navy SEAL? And he kind of explained to me it was the the hardest military training in the world. It's this and that, and I was like done. That's what I want to do. So I came back from that. I didn't like, first of all, I swore I would never join the Navy. Not ever in my life. Am I ever going to join the Navy? They ride on those big gray things that float out there in the ocean. Um, they wear these ugly uniforms that looks like you just got out of jail uh, with the big dungaree, like bell bottoms. Like this was the eighties, nineties, like bell bottoms weren't cool anymore. Um, and a little white Dixie cup hat. Hell no, I'm not wearing, I want to wear camouflage. I want to be cool. And so um, eventually I, so I came back from that jamboree. The Navy recruiter called my house. He called, you know, they, they do just basically do cold calls. And like, he was like, Hey man, have you ever thought about joining uh, the Navy? And I was like, you know, why do you say that? I want to go to the Naval Academy. I want to fly F-14 Tomcats and I want to be a Navy SEAL. Can you help me out? He was like, come on down here and let's have a conversation. So they showed me this super cheesy video of, of what it took to become a Navy, or of the, you know, like a Navy SEAL recruiting video. And I was like, yeah, where do I sign up? And then how do I go to the Naval Academy and how do I fly airplanes? 
And so he was like, hold on one thing at a time. He set me up to take the ASVAB. I scored okay on it, well enough on it. And, uh, and then I, when I graduated, like about three weeks after I graduated high school, I was off to, to Navy boot camp to start my naval career. So I got to boot camp. I was like, how hard can that SEAL screening, t- uh, screening PT test be? Well, it's not really that hard looking back at it, but if you're not prepared for it in like really any way, shape or form, it's, you're not going to pass it. And so I actually failed that test twice before I actually pass it. Um, and, and eventually made my way into seal training, but there's a, there's more stories in there. I could tell stories about this for a long time, apparently, but I want to, I want to know what you want to know. And then I'll answer those questions. No, I'll, I'll, I'll ask that. Cause I like asking like the weird, awkward shit, but I think like it's stuff that people always want to know but they're not really sure either how to ask or they don't want to offend you by asking like, is it really that hard or is it really that scary? Or are there things, you know, going in, like, did they give you any preparation whatsoever that you could train for anything or you just had no idea when you entered? No, what I knew, I knew the minimum standard. I knew the minimum required numbers of the swim time, the run time, the push, the number of push-ups you had to do pull-ups and sit-ups. And I was very focused on that minimum number, which was my failure. Right. I was focused on the minimum standard, not the maximum standard. And so that took just a, a mindset shift because remember, I grew up poor and not, not a lot of mentors in my life outside of the SEAL teams. Like I knew what I needed to do to become an Eagle Scout. I knew what I needed to do to get this merit badge. I knew what I needed to do to whatever. Okay, here's the minimum standard to, to become a Navy SEAL, like pass the screening test. And, uh, and it's funny, I failed the pushups the first time I took it. So uh, you, there's a, a 500 yard swim that you do. I did just fine on that. And, and then you go in, you change clothes, you put on long pants, boots, and a t-shirt, and you come out and you do push-ups, sit-ups, and pull-ups. And, you know, looking back at the standard, I'm like, that was, how did I fail that? That was so easy, such an easy standard. And uh, so the minimum number of push-ups was like 52. Clean, crisp push-ups, not a big deal. And uh you What's have that? a certain number. Did you have like a certain time frame you had to get that? In? Yeah, you have two two minutes to to knock it out, and uh, and I so you you swim first, and then you change clothes. You put on you know put on your 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 long pants and boots. Come out, and you have uh, two minutes to knock out as many pushups as you can. I think I got to like thirty seven, and I was like thirty seven. Okay, I can't do anymore, and so I failed. Uh, not a big deal. Go back to your you know your boot camp company and you know try again later if you want so then i went on to uh so in the navy at the time i had to have a navy school mm-hmm. at the time i was a gunner's mate which i thought had to do with guns not a lot to do with small arms it has to do with those big gray things that float out there in the ocean i talked about earlier they have gun systems and missile launchers so it's all about electronics pneumatics and hydraulics i remember zero percent of anything that i learned back then but that that was how you you know you you move to the next rank is you had to go take these tests and so i went to this you know gunner's mate school for six months at the end of it i should have uh gone and taken this the seal screening test actually while i was there but it was in you know uh, north of chicago in the winter time and i was like dude it's cold it's dark i don't like getting up early in the morning and uh but i'll do it for this uh I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. And then it came time for us to pick orders. And so I was high enough in the class because I found a study group to help me get by um, that I could pick a set of orders 
to um, to go to another school for four more months. And then after that school, I had 24 months of obligated service on a ship in Yokosuka, Japan. But I like my internal dialogue was like, okay, well, I'll go to that school for four more months, get in better shape in Virginia Beach, and then I'll go to SEAL training. That's what I'm thinking. And so I went to that school and about halfway through it, about two months in, I'm, I'm training hard, I'm running, I'm swimming, I'm doing what I need to do, uh, lifting weights. And then I asked the instructors, I'm like, hey, I, uh, where can I go take the SEAL screening test? Because there, there was a SEAL team right there on the base that I was on, on, on Damn Neck. And, uh, and, and so they're like, I don't know, let me, let me check into it. Why do you want to be a SEAL? I'm like, that's why I joined the Navy. And there was another guy in the same boat. And, uh, and so they went and, and found out and they came back and they said, here's the deal. Because you took the orders to this school, you have to go spend 24 months on that ship in Yokosuka, Japan. I'm like, well, what if I fail out of the school? They're like, it doesn't matter. You're still going to go to that ship in Yokosuka, Japan. That's just the way the, 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 the system works. And I was like, okay, I'm not a quitter. Let's go. I, I went and spent my time on the ship. Um, I failed the screening test the second time in Japan. And I failed the run. This time, I, I took the tests. I crushed everything. I was taking it with a bunch of other guys that were either going to become an EOD or Navy diver. The, the entrance, the test is exactly the same. The standards are different, though. SEALs have the highest standard. Um, and so I beat everyone on the swim. I, beat, I did more push-ups. I did more pull-ups. I did more sit-ups than everyone. And I was the first one across the, across the finish line on the run. Uh, wearing boots and long pants where everyone else wore shorts and, and sneakers. So I, I crossed the finish line and I'm like, cause I was like, I was so far ahead of everyone else. I was like, I got this. And I kind of coasted the last little bit. And uh, when I crossed the finish line, I failed it by like 12 seconds. I was like, are you kidding oh my me? God. So it's like roadblock, 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 roadblock. I'm like, okay, I'll just have to take it again. Like I got it. It's not a big deal. It sucks that I failed it. I hate failure, but it, it's just, it is what it is. I didn't, I failed myself. So I had to, you know, I had to sleep with that reality for a while. And I took the test again. I passed it. I did all the medical stuff. Then next step, uh, I called my detailer, the guy that's like, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Uh, like, what's the next set of orders uh, he's going to give me. So I called him and I said, Hey man, I'm just letting you know, I'm going to put a package in to go to buds to become a Navy seal. I'm just letting you know, he was like, that's great that you want to do that, but I'm not going to let you go because your job that that school that you went to for four months in, in Virginia beach, that made you more critical to, to the Navy than becoming a Navy seal. So I'm not going to let you go. And I was like, what, what he, he said, uh, I said, well, what if I get out? Like if, if I go to buds, and I don't make it, you got me back. It's not a big deal. It's not really a loss on your on your side. He's like, nope, you will, I will not, I will not let you go to buds. I will not release you at the end. And so I still did all the stuff I needed to do. I submitted my package up to uh, you know, to, to the headquarters where it needed to go. I had letters of recommendation, I had everything I needed. And uh, and he's still like, Nope, sorry. And then I called the seal detailer. I'm like, hey man, have you seen my he's like, they're like, Your your detailer has to let you go. And I was like, fuck. Okay. Then one day the chief of naval operations came to my ship in Yokosuka, Japan. So just to kind of put into perspective, the chief of naval operations is the most senior person in the Navy, the end. The only people more senior to him is the, the secretary of defense and the president of the United States. So he came to my ship in Yokosuka, Japan. He didn't go to any other ship. 
And when we heard he was coming, people came up to me and they're like, hey, man, you should ask the CNO if he'll let you go to Bud's. And I was like, okay, like, what do I have to lose? I didn't really understand the gravity of like who this person really was. No clue. And, uh, and so he comes to our ship. He gives his vision of the Navy. This is what I think. This is the plan, blah, blah, whatever. And he's like, does anyone have any questions? And I raised my hand. I'm like, yeah, I got one right here. And uh, he calls on me. I was the second person he called and he said, and I said, yes, sir. I, I joined the Navy to become a Navy SEAL. I think I deserve a chance to go. My detailer won't let me go. I threw that guy right under the bus. Uh, my detailer won't let me go. He says, I'm too critical to the Navy. What do you think? I think I deserve a chance to go. He stops. He turns to my commanding officer and he says, is he a good guy? My commanding officer says, yeah, he was a sailor of the quarter this quarter, which is like employee of the month. And uh, he turns back to me. He was like, check, you'll be in the first class after your PRD, which is planned rotational date. Six weeks later, I'm off to California to start my SEAL career. So it took me kind of, you know, what we started, what we talked about before we, you know, started recording. It took me three years just to get to SEAL training, oh my God. which is six months long. And uh, it took me a short 13 months to get through BUDS. And then I got to, you know, my first SEAL team was a team I didn't want to go to. So it was like roadblock, roadblock, roadblock. Come on. Let's get this shit together. And uh, but anyway, I ended up with a with a, you know, a, a pretty successful career. Um, I did not go over to a development group um, because the the girl I was married to at the time, you know, refused to allow me to go. And another mistake on my part, I should just go do what I want to do. Um, but uh, anyway. It is what it is. Maybe I wouldn't be standing here right now. It's a, it's a large possibility that I would not be, um, but uh, but I am. So here we are, and the rest is history. Wow. So looking back with the standards for all those tests, uh, judging by what you have seen in today's society, have those tests changed <laughs> at all? No, they have no. not. There is a there is a very despite what you might see in the media. Um, there are very high standards that will not be deviated from. Actually, that's not true. The standards were dropped for a while because they were trying to figure out just on the on the pull-ups. You know, I think when I when I the minimum standard for me on pull-ups when I joined was seven, I think, and they dropped it to five. But they were trying to get more people in the pipeline so they could bring, you know, produce more people at the end of the day. But but reality of it is we're in high demand. There was a lot of, um, a lot of positive publicity about the SEAL teams. And so, you know, at, there was a point, one point in my career where, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a PhD, I have a public high school diploma. So, um, not, not highly educated over here, but I would have, I had, you know, medical doctor, I had one medical doctor who was an enlisted guy that worked for me. And I had a guy that used to work at NASA that worked for me, like a, a rocket engineer. And they were just lowly enlisted E5 SEALs that worked for me that, we, that you know, we went and, and deployed with. But uh, it, it's because the standard is like the desire for guys to be in that career field was, was very high. They want to serve their country at the highest, you know, capacity possible. And so, you know, they, we didn't need to, to lower the standard. And, uh, you know, right before I got out, there was this big push to allow women to be to, to go through the program. I have my own opinions about that, but, and I, and I believe that women can make it through buds. I, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, I remember finishing hell week thinking like, I, I'm sure that a woman can do that. It's not, you know, she just has to be hard and, and, uh, and not give a fuck sometimes, 
But at the end of the day, and, and I've been on combat missions with women in supporting roles, gunfights, the whole thing. And, uh, and they've, they've performed, you know, heroically, but I don't believe that they belong in the SEAL teams just because of some of the missions that we do is, you know, some very austere at times that there are different group, uh, what's the hygiene requirements. Women have different hygiene requirements than men. We're different people. We're different. So, um, but, but kind of to answer your question, the standard has not changed and it's not going to change for anyone. That that's probably a good thing because you would think that judging by how, you know, not only men, but since this is directed to guys, the physical capabilities worldwide, I think mostly at least it shows in the US of how it's decreased amongst dudes that you would think, okay, like, are they up to the task? And is that something that's questioned? Because I mean, you work in the, the project with Pedros now, and you guys are taking men through very physical, rigorous things. And so you get to see front and center that like, how someone can actually perform, are they willing to get the job done? Like, obviously, that's a little bit different than going to the gym and then getting a workout done. Um, but you've heard stuff like we've heard stuff. hugely different, yeah, hugely different than yeah. And are there guys like in the project who have entertained becoming a seal or thinking about it? Because I know there are young guys that go that go to that. I think probably I've, I've only I've only taught one class. Um, I'm sure there are guys that have have maybe had those aspirations. I know guys that have gone through the project have been in the military. As a matter of fact, there's one instructor who was in Air Force Special Operations. He was a, a, a SEER instructor, which is a super valuable skill, incredibly valuable skill, um, I, I think. But it's not the same as, you know, going through BUDS. One, it's only 75 hours, and BUDS is, is much longer. And, you know, different things break different people down. I remember going through training, and there were these fucking studs, like, they everything was easy appeared to be from my perspective i struggled at everything and uh they could run effortlessly they could swim effortlessly they flew around the oak course they were charismatic they were good looking they were natural leaders and i was like yeah they're that that's what i envisioned a seal to be like and um and they were some of the first ones to wash away to quit like either they were uh they didn't like being told they weren't good enough they because they were used to winning at everything they did they were really good at everything um or they couldn't stand that cold water so the cold gets a lot of people um you know there's this sort of bragging rights about having a winter hell week you know hell week is five and a half days you're cold you're wet you're miserable you don't sleep the whole time and uh and it sucks but um there have been some hell week i saw about a year and a half ago two years ago a on social media where hell week the classes started with 200 250 people and the classes are broken up into boat crews all based on your height and uh, seven guys are in a boat crew. So that's a lot of boats. And then it gets weeded down till you get to hell week. And then uh, this particular, it was a very cold winter in California. And uh, I remember seeing a video where there was only one boat left towards the end of hell week. Wow. And I was like, I messaged the guy that posted. I was like, bro, this can't be real. He's like, yep, that's it. One boat, one boat crew. It, there may have been nine people under that boat. I don't know, but still, they went from like 250 people to one boat. And so, 
it's not, I mean, it's not reasonable to have four guys carry a boat. I mean, maybe it is. It really, really sucks. But let's just put everybody under one. I don't, yeah, again, I don't know how many people were left. But, um, and, you know, you could have had like, you know, four tall guys and three short guys. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was, it was definitely a, an eye opener. Like winter, like the, the cold gets a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, in California, it can still be cold even now, which is, oh, I yeah. mean, you know, and I, I watched on Instagram and I'm just like, oh, that sucks. But, you know, I'm lying on my couch watching you guys. Um, <laughs> when you were instructing, like, were there any kids that were going through this that reminded you of you or how you were when you were going through SEAL training at all? Or any, had any character traits that kind of were like, all right, I'm kind of like, you know, I was like him or he's similar to me. I don't, uh, you know, I think I've, I've grown a lot since, since my time in it going through buds. Um, and I, so I'll just sort of fast forward to today. I, I had a lot of like, sort of like, I don't really know what my potential is back there. And I was also like, how hard can it be? That's pretty freaking hard. Uh, you just have to just do it, just suck it up and do it. And nothing else matters. And there was no way I was leaving that program, uh, by ringing the bell. It was either going to be in a body bag or in, like through some sort of through the hospital or something, something else. And if I did, I would be right back. Um, unless it was in a body bag and then, well, that's, that's a different story, yeah. but, uh, and, and that does, that does happen. It ha happened, you know, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I think, but, um, the, what I noticed about guys going through the project is a lot of guys, most of those guys have some sort of limiting belief. I certainly am as guilty as anyone else about my glass ceiling, my limiting beliefs. Like, who am I? What, why would anyone want to listen to me? What do I, what value do I actually bring? Blah, blah, whatever this, this, the sort of the bitch voice in the back of your head. And, uh, and there were, most of the guys had that. As a matter of fact, the guy who graduated as honor man for sure had that. And I've had some conversations with him since then. And without, without really saying who he is, um, he was, uh, he used to be a cop. He was shot in the line of duty and he is now he's, he's, uh, he's a, he's a videographer, you know, video editing, you know, he's, he's done some pretty high end, uh, video stuff, but he's still very, I could like, I'm like, bro, you, you have these limiting beliefs. You need to like fucking get over that shit and, and move forward. I'm also talking to myself when I'm, when I'm doing that. So teaching is also therapeutic for, for me as well. Like when I'm yelling at someone, I'm yelling at myself as well. They just don't know it. Um, when I have, when I'm with coaching clients, like if I'm telling them something, you know, like imposter syndrome is a whole big thing. Like I would, I would argue that every high performer out there has some form of imposter syndrome. And all of my clients that are high performers, they're like, you know, they're like, I, I'm struggling with this imposter syndrome thing. And I'm like, yeah, so am I. But let me tell you, let me ask you this one question. Who doesn't have imposter syndrome? And there is a person out there that doesn't have imposter syndrome. Do you know who they are? And I'll ask you, Allie, who do you know who yeah. that is? Imposters. Imposters do not have imposter syndrome. Kind of a duh, yeah. Because they're always, they're always, you know trying to believe that there's like, make you believe that there's something else, something that they're yeah. not. And so they don't, they don't have imposter syndrome. Like I'm the fucking man, blah, 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 whatever. But, you know, so I, so this, so I was talking to, to this kid and uh, after the project and uh, I say kid, I just, he's, he's a grown ass How man. Old are you? Um, I'm, I'll be 50 in October. What? 
heights? Really? You do not look like yeah. where I thought yeah. you're my age. I'm yeah. 41. I'm like, damn. I've, 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 I could be 35 as October far as I, I'm concerned. I, 13. I'm the ninth. Oh my God. We're Libras. There we go. Right, keep going. That's why we yes, get along. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so I want, so I was like, let me, let me put something into perspective for you. You have these limiting beliefs, but uh, do you know that guy, David Goggins? He's got like 10 bazillion fucking followers on Instagram and whatever else he does, written some books, tells you to fucking stay hard motherfucker and all this shit. Um, and so, you know, th this guy, he's, he, he used to be a cop shot in the line of duty. Uh, and I was like, listen, I want you to know that you have more combat experience than that guy that's on Instagram that tells you how fucking hard he is, tells you to fucking stay hard. You have more combat experience than he does. Think about that when you're, when you're having a little pity party in your imposter syndrome and your, uh, self-limiting beliefs, you went into combat and you performed heroically and you did some cool shit and you saved lives and this other stuff. That guy that's on Instagram, he hadn't done any, he hadn't done any of that. I'm not saying he hadn't, didn't deploy. I didn't say he didn't do the work to become a SEAL. I'm saying that he hasn't had, he doesn't have the same combat experience that you do. So put that in your, in your pipe and smoke it. And so the next time you start feeling sorry for yourself, remember that you have this incredible potential. You have already proven that you can perform under extreme pressure and do what needs to be done. And uh, that other guy, I'm not, I'm not judging him. I think he does fucking great work and motivates a lot of people. But, you know, when you want to compare apples to apples, he doesn't compare to you at all. You're fucking head and shoulders above him. The end. So that just some stuff that you get, you know, little, little motivational things that I, I try to help, help people out well, with. That's why I... Even if I sound like an asshole. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, and again, people also have to realize that like some of the clips that are posted are you know, taken out of context and they haven't heard everything that you guys are saying. And part of it is for the dramatic effect as well. But, but the reason I asked you that is because knowing I want to get to the guys that you mentor, but I know that even for myself, mentoring coaches, even though I don't want to think like I'm at that age where I can be a mentor, even though I'm 41, I've been in this for a while. Like I'll see in younger coaches traits that I had when I was their age and I'll get angry or or frustrated for them because I know that like it, it doesn't have to be that way and I find myself like you said talking to them in the way that I would be talking to my younger self and so now I know that that has brought you into a position where you have a coaching group and you coach young men and I'm sure you're teaching them some of the same principles so I want to get I want to get to how you found that and also the CBD company so whichever one came first we'll go into that let's Ah, let's see. Well, we're already going down the coaching route. So let's go down the coaching route and then we'll come back to CBD. Yeah. Um, actually, you know what? Let's let's start at CBD and then we'll go to, to coaching because it, it kind of all ties together. So um, on the CBD side, I, I do have a company called Naked Warrior Recovery. Uh, CBD, primarily a CBD company. I have some other products that aren't, uh, that, that don't have CBD in them. But um when I retired from the military, I say that was the hardest military mission I've ever been on. Um, you know, I had mission, I had purpose, and I had a team. And I had a pretty badass mission, a badass purpose, and a badass team. And then, you know, kind of like that Avengers movie where Thanos like snaps his fingers and half the world's population vanishes like overnight. That's the way I felt. It was like I had all of this, and all of a sudden I'm like, where do I go? Who am I? What do I do? Um, and so I'm 
I, I was I was very lost. I started a, a consulting company to help companies navigate the military acquisition system. Not super sexy, but it, it was really based on the last job I had in the SEAL teams. I was at the headquarters. I was helping solve problems. I was I went out and found sixteen million dollars of, of other people's money to, you know, creating quantum cascading lasers, creating inflatable sleds that we could tow our SDV out of, you know, some sort of danger area if we needed to at, at high speeds um, and uh, underwater communications, things like that. So, you know, in, inventing uh, technology that didn't in, exist prior to. And uh, so I was going to parlay that into, you know, a, a, a new job outside my own business outside. I had buddies that were in the consulting space. And when I went to these companies, you know, sort of trying to sell myself, I was like, they were like, bro, we don't do consultants. Consultants are criminals. They, they do nothing, but they get paid and we get nothing in return. La la, whatever. And I was like, ah, like I was like brick wall, brick wall, brick wall, brick wall, brick wall, like uh, pretty much my life. And, uh, and so I was, I was struggling. I was using alcohol as a, this was even before getting out, you know, I pretty much drink myself to sleep at night. I got a lot of noise in my head. And, uh, and so alcohol, uh, vodka was my, my, my drug of choice. And so I was self-medicating and, um, you know, really like just to turn down the noise in my head. And so, and, and I'll tell you that most of the noise didn't come from my time in the SEAL teams. It came from other things, other relate, not so awesome relationships. Um, my, my ex-wife being a huge part of that. And when I, I usually just tell men that I'm like, dude, I have more PT. I don't say PTSD generally. Um, but I'm like, I, bro, I have more PTSD from my ex-wife than I do from seven combat deployments. Like I'll go to combat right now. I will not be in the same room with her unless it's a courtroom any other time in my life. And so using my kids as, or our kids as weapons, even today, my son will be 21, uh, in October. And she's still using them as as weapons against me. And and so anyway, I, you know, I, I even got a threat uh, two days ago about going back to court. I'm like, whatever, dude. Um, it, but it, but thirteen years. Jesus. <laughs> so, but but anyway, I, I had to get to a, another place, and and CBD was a, a modality that helped like turn down the noise in my head. I didn't notice anything when I first started taking CBD. Um, and, but I didn't notice anything until I stopped taking CBD, actually. And what I noticed when I stopped taking CBD is, um, you know, I'll use the analogy that water boils at 212 degrees, but I was probably living my life at 210 degrees, and I didn't even, I didn't realize it. And um, so taking CBD, I went from like 210 to 205 to 200 to 195 to 190, maybe 185. I didn't notice the change until I ran out of that first bottle of CBD that actually Ray gave me. Um, and kind of the story behind that is I had heard about CBD. I wasn't going to take it while I was in because I, you know, drugs are bad and drug testing and all this other stuff. And, um, but I was out for almost a year. It was 2019. I was actually going to court with my ex-wife. Uh, it got continued to, I don't know, I don't know, months later. And I had lunch with Ray. I'd reconnected with Ray after, like Ray was in my first SEAL platoon. He was like my sea daddy in, in the SEAL teams. And he still kind of is on, you know, in the civilian world as well. I still reach out to Ray. I'm like, bro, can you help me with this? I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and so he has a lot more experience. He's got more, you know, more reps under his belt um, on, on different things. But um, 
So I had lunch with Ray and I fin we finished lunch and I was like, hey, I'm going to see if I can go find some CBD here in Virginia, because maybe what you have in Virginia is better than what we have in Hawaii. I have no clue about anything in the industry. I've just heard a couple podcasts talk about it. And so he's like, if you want CBD, I've got some at home. A company had sent him some stuff and he gave me a bottle. And so I used it for 30 days and I didn't really notice anything. Maybe I was a little less pissed off. Maybe I slept a little better. I, I don't really know. I wasn't really measuring things. But what I noticed when I ran out is I started things that had stopped bothering me as much. I started, they started affecting me more. And I was like, after enough of this time, like my fuse just got shorter mm -hmm. After enough time, I was like, maybe I, it was that CBD, maybe what they were saying, it, it actually worked. And I just didn't really notice it. And so I had a, you know, I tried a different brand. I had similar results. And then, um, and then I see, you know, Ray post about um, the Empire Business Summit in San Diego. And this was late August, September, 2019. And so now I tried CBD twice. I had really good results and I'm like very interested in that world. So still lost, still trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing with my life. I go to the Empire Business Summit as Ray's VIP guest. So I got to go to all the VIP stuff because Ray was a speaker there. And uh, it's very similar to the summit that's coming up here in, um, in September in Orange County. Um, and I went there and I met a girl that was in the CBD industry. She was putting CBD into kinesiology tape. And she was like, how do I market this? Because I can't run ads on social media. I can't. And, and so after, I was like, CBD girl, CBD girl, CBD girl. So I followed her <laughs> like some sort of weird stalker <laughs> when it was when we were all done. And I like I like I, I was like, hey, you're the CBD girl, right? And uh, she was like, yeah. Um, and I was like, hey, I want to do CBD. And so she was like, do you want to do A to B, B to B or B to C? And I was like, I want to do C, B, D. I don't know those other letters you used. CBD. That's what I want. I don't even know what it stands for, but that's what I want to do. Really, I was looking for to hire me. Maybe this is my new mission, my new purpose, my new team. And she wasn't in, in any position to, to bring on uh, an employee. So she was like, well, why don't you just start your own CBD company? And I said, I don't know how to do that. And she leaned in and she was like, you are a Navy SEAL. You can figure it out. So I politely asked her for my man card back. And I put that in my pocket and I didn't give that up ever again, but, uh, um, and, and I, I still, I still use her as a resource today it, it, for some, for some things, but, uh, that I went home and I Googled like how to start a CBD company. And, uh, and so I found out that the industry is extremely dirty. And this was again, still 2019. Um, you know, when CBD became legal, December 20th, I think of 2018, after the passing of the farm bill, which made hemp legal. So CBD comes from hemp, not marijuana, not it's all cannabis, it's all the same plant, right. the difference between marijuana and hemp is the amount of THC that's in the in the cannabis plant, if it's 0.3% or less in the dried weight of the plant, that's what makes the plant hemp and not marijuana. So if you just go out into a field, and you see all these plants, you don't know if they're marijuana or, or hemp. Um, so the farms that we use, they're very specifically, they're USDA certified organic. Um, so what I did is I went out and I found the, the, the best, highest quality producers of CBD and I partnered with them. And that's who I still, uh, are still my suppliers today. They actually drove the standard for quality in the industry. So for example, you know, the FDA went out and, and has done hundreds or thousands of, of independent tests on products that they found on store shelves, in smoke shops, in wherever. 
that are supposed to be CBD. And they found that more than 70% of the products either didn't have CBD in them, uh, had higher than the, the allowed level of THC in the product, uh, didn't have what they said. Some of them, many of them didn't have any CBD in them at all. They were just like, uh, like olive oil or, or a hemp oil or an MCT oil. Uh, they had high levels of arsenic, uh, other heavy metals like um, lead and uh, mercury in, in, in the oil because hemp is a bioaccumulator, which means it pulls all the good stuff out of the soil, but it also pulls all the shit out of the soil. Actually, they're using hemp at Chernobyl to clean the radiation out of the soil to go back and repopulate that area one day. You don't want any any uh, uh, Chernobyl CBD, I don't think. I mean, maybe you do. You want to become the Incredible Hulk or something, have green skin. Maybe you do use some Chernobyl CBD, but at the end of yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, someone asked me a question once upon a time. They were like, so what's the difference between your CBD and the CBD that I can get at the gas station for like half the price? I was like, well, um, what's the difference between the sushi that you get at a gas station and the sushi that you would get at a sushi house? Do you want to really roll the bones with gas station sushi? Now, in Hawaii, that's not a fair question because there's some really good sushi in, in, in the 7-Eleven here in Hawaii. But uh, like in Indiana, you don't, you probably don't want to go get some gas station sushi. No. I'm just, I mean, I, I don't anyway. Or boner, boner and uh, they have at the gas station, probably not. The right. You, you never know. Maybe they are. I don't know. I've, I haven't tried them yet, but I, maybe one day. I've tried it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> raging boner. boner. I don't know. I'm getting uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh so 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 we focus on quality um everything that we so one of the the things that set us apart and now the biggest names in the industry do the same thing you know we're we're usda certified organic not all of our products are because you know there's a huge process for that usd certified organic label that goes on the thing on the on the bottle but the oil that goes in is right and because we we can't control everything that goes into the into the like actual ingredients as far as the USDA certification of it, but um, the what we do that no one else was doing is we would test the oil when it came out of the plant, and then we would test the the final product to make sure it has what we say we it has in it, make sure there no contamination happened during the manufacturing process because it does happen, and if something does happen, then we shit can the whole batch and we start over again. And so no one else in the industry was doing that. And we put QR codes on all of our products and all of our, our COAs, our certificates of uh, authenticity are, um, are on the website. So you can, you, know, you can see exactly how much CBD or anything else that's in the bottle of, of CBD that you're taking. So the, the products that you have, there's a QR code on there. You can use your phone and then look at the, the, the lot number on the bottom of the bottle and you can see exactly what's in your uh, in, in the bottle of, of, of the products that you have. Um, so that, that was, we were standing out in, in that respect. Now the rest of the industry is doing, you know, the, the same thing. So, um, but yeah, it, when, it, when it comes to, to quality, we have, we, we focus on quality over quantity. There are other times where you should focus on quality, quantity over quality, but right now we're focusing on, because it's something that you're putting into your body as a medicine. I'm not making a, you know, medical, medical claims here. I'm not a medical professional, but uh, if you're putting something in your body that is as a medicine or for medicinal benefits, you don't want to be putting a bunch of poison in there and you should, you should know what's, what's in the product that you're taking. Oh yeah. And, and I would say like, um, so circa 2018, 2019, I was living in Connecticut and I got my card 
for the dispensaries because they were legal there. And I, I was like, I want to try pharmaceutical grade CBD because I know I, I, I don't think I did well on THC. I have tried those products. They just make me feel like hungover. I don't know. And everyone's like, you didn't try the right kind. I'm like, I, whatever. That's not <laughs> something for me. But I would go in the dispensary and I, like, I'd always feel like I'm doing something wrong. Cause it just the way that it was set up, it was like, you had to go through like, you know, this initial door and then they had to buzz you in all security because yeah. it's all cash and all this. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know anything about like all the different pipes and stuff. I'm like, I'm just here to get pills. Like, you know, just like, don't, don't look at me or and they only took cash or like debit cards or anything. So anyway, can I wear a mask while I'm in the store? So yeah. No like, I'm like, Oh my God, someone's <laughs> like, I'm going to be found or whatever. And it was like totally in like the worst place of town as well. But um, it was like five milligram tabs that I was like, I don't recall feeling a difference or anything until you stop taking it, like you said. And it's just hard to explain because it's not like a caffeine pill where you take it and all of a sudden you're going to feel something or, you know, an energy drink or something. So then I got away from that, right. moved to Florida. Of course, Florida, you can buy it anywhere, the gas station, the sidewalk, you know, like Wawa, whatever. Um, but I've tried different products and it's the same thing. It's like, you don't know what is different, what is good. And then the products that you sent me, it'd been a while since I had tried one that was in a sleep product. Dude, you saw, I took hard week, Adderall, three energy drinks. Like that's like 600 milligrams of caffeine, which is upwards of the high normal for me. And I was like, I'm never going to fucking sleep. And I, I think I ended up working out, like I was doing cardio at like 7 p.m., never going to sleep. And I literally, I was like, oh my God. And my aura ring was like normal. And, you know, I, I felt good. And one of uh, my other Silverback speakers, Dave Lee, commented on the ingredients of the sleep product saying the that the CBN and then the melatonin and then the amount of um, CBD in there was like the perfect ratio who came up with that ratio? How did you guys design that product? Someone smarter than me. Because <laughs> that was like real deal. Because, you know, sometimes I think people can overdo CBD, right? If you take too much, it can make you kind of groggy. Uh, it, you know, different people have, it's, so CBD is not an exact science. Right. It's, you know, you you kind of have to figure out what works for you. I take more CBD than than a lot of people just because it works for me. Um, I've, I've taken enough of it. I, I know what works for me and what doesn't and, and how I perform and how I recover and things like that. You know, it really, it's on the recovery side, you know, I have a, a CBD energy drink, but you don't get like spikes of, it has 75 milligrams of caffeine, but it also has 25 milligrams of CBD in it. So it's really much more of like a, a, a sustained focus. I had someone tell me they were able to get off their Adderall using the, the CBD energy drink. I'm not making that, me that medical claim at all. Um, but she was like, I have the energy and the focus that I generally have with Adderall, but I don't have the crash at the end of the day. So it's just sort of a, a steady focus. And I've had several other people reach out to me and, and say the same thing. Again, I'm not making that claim. Right. I actually mix it with, uh, I, I take it daily, generally twice a day. I mix it with, uh, in this like half gallon jug with, uh, it's, I'm, I mix it together in the, in the, in the body armor jar. Yeah. Cause that jar is like, it's only like a, a quarter full that I'd made a, a mistake with the labels. And I was like, just, just get this thing to market, hurry up. <laughs> uh, rather than like redo labels and all this other stuff, let's just execute. But it turns out that it works pretty well. Like I mix the two products together. I shake it up and I use the bigger scoop that comes with the energy drink. And I put that in my, uh, in like a one scoop 
in a half gallon. And then I do that twice a day. And that's, I get at least a gallon of water, usually maybe three times, you know, a gallon and a half just of that. And, um, cause it tastes better than just plain old water. Water's boring, boring. for for me anyway. And so that's how I get it. I get electrolytes. I get, you know, a little, little sustained energy throughout the day. I get vitamins and minerals. I get all the, uh, immune from the, from the body armor product. And so that that's, that's how I use it. Uh, but, but yeah, so, but I've actually started using the, I, so I have these buzzing gummies. They have 25 milligrams of, of CBD. This is my sleep stack. And so for at night, cause my sleep sucks and I have a hard time turning my brain off and I've, fa- and I've never used marijuana ever in my life, but I have used the, um, the products that I sell. And so these buzzing gummies, they have five milligrams of Delta nine THC hemp derived. So it's legal in all 50 States hemp derived, not marijuana derived. So 0.3%. And so the, the dried weight of the product still has less than 0.3% THC in, in the product. So it's again, hundred percent legal, all 50 States. Um, and I'll take one gummy about an hour before I'm ready to go to bed. And so I'll take a, a sleep gummy, a, a buzzing gummy, and I'll take one or two of the, the sleep soft gels that you have. And uh, my sleep quality is unmatched. Like I may not get eight hours of sleep. Like last yesterday, I went on a, a I didn't plan on this, but I went on a seven and a half mile run. I'm planning to go, I'm, you know, training up to go do this swim across the Hudson River fundraiser. And also a, a swim, or I'm sorry, go do the, the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim again. And that's 54 miles. Last time it took us 25 and a half hours nonstop. And uh, so I'm planning on going and doing those, those events again. So I have to train up and, and get ready for them. But, um, but recovery is, is like, I didn't sleep well. Like I didn't feel like I slept, slept that well, but my, my HRV and my resting heart rate on, on whoop was like very high. I was like super impressed at, at that. But again, I didn't like, I woke up like 50 times, but my quality of sleep was still really high, uh, using those products. That's awesome. So, so you would say like people would basically have to kind of trial and error how much and what products and what stack basically that would be best for them. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, like, like you said, like some people don't like the way that THC makes them feel you could even like, you know, five milligrams might be too much for some people cut that thing in half and, and take two and a half or do it in quarters. And, uh, and, and, you know, for me, it helped, it just slows the brain down so that I can actually stop and go to sleep. I might work on, do some work, write some emails or do whatever I need to do or hang out with the family. And, and I can feel it like start to kick in. I'm like, okay, here it comes. Okay. Now I can just like start mellowing out and, and it's time to check out and go lay down and see you tomorrow. That, that I do notice like, cause I'm the same way you can't turn it off. And then it's all of a sudden like this detachment of the Uber stress stuff where it's like, okay, now you can kind of start chilling. It's a lot better. And this was kind of on the, on like those, those the sleep soft gels, what would happen I've, I've, I've up my game with the THC piece of it is, you know, I, I get to that point of at night being tired and I'm like, I should go to bed. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not being u- uber disciplined, I'll just push through that tired point. I'll do one more thing. I'll do whatever. And then now I'm like wide awake. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, maybe I should have a nightcap. Oh, well, maybe I should have another one. And then, you know, it's two in the morning and I'm shit housed 
and you know i haven't gotten anything done and i haven't gotten any sleep and you know so that's not not really there for for optimal performance so what i found with the soft gels is before i started you know we started carrying a, a thc product is i would hit that tired point but i wouldn't get that second wind and eventually i'd give up and go to bed so that i was like dude these are amazing i love them and then when i added the thc into it game over just like especially when i travel because i travel a lot and uh that helps get me into whatever time zone i'm in mm -hmm. like i'm flying to the east coast in a, in a few weeks and uh you know that's a it's about 27 hours of travel sleeping on airplanes getting to wherever to my destination and then like having to be able to like perform when i get there so that's that's not awesome and then circadian rhythm is all jacked up this helps me get into whatever time zone i'm in and deal with the hudson river which is just more than just water there's questionable <laughs> things that exist in, in that water so i've heard I've, I've i've done the swim a couple times yeah. and uh yeah i but uh i've done it twice this will be my third year this will be the fifth year they've done it but uh it's it's uh it's it's interesting how many sure. showers must you take to get rid of the <laughs> i don't i don't know uh they they have showers set up for us so when we get out of the water <laughs> so we so this is how it works we start on the on the new jersey side we run down with flags about a mile and a half you know the leapfrogs come, jump in the navy jump team jumps in maybe some gold star families people who've lost their their you know their their significant other uh in on you know in the line of duty and then we run to another park we we give the you know we're all carrying these american flags we put the flags up that they're transported over to the New York side. And then we hop in the water. We swim out to a barge that's in front of the Statue of Liberty. We get out and we do uh, 22 pull-ups for 22 veterans who take their lives every single day. Uh, and then we do a hundred push-ups. and it depends on what, you know, kind of uh, what, what's important at the time, you know, some of it, you know, sometimes we'll do it for, you know, operation red wings where we lost a bunch of seals. That was actually my team um in afghanistan and then also extortion 17 which was development group also a, a shit ton of seals uh lost so we'll do 50 for each uh then we'll get back in the water we'll swim to another barge in front of ellis island get out and do another 122 and then we jump back in the water and swim across the channel this is the hardest part of the swim is getting across that channel if, if we if we mistime the currents the first year i did it and ray ray and i were swim buddies and we're swimming along and I'm, I'm guiding and I'm looking at this little white church that's on the, on the, on the beach, trying to swim towards that thing. And, uh, and it kept getting further away. So they missed time. The currents, we were getting sucked down the East river of the Hudson. Oh, shit. Uh, and I'm like, bro, we got to just put our heads down and, and just fucking go. And we eventually got there, but man, that was the second year we did it. We finished about two hours earlier, faster than the first year we did it. Oh my God. Uh, I didn't do it last year because I went and climbed the Grand Teton. So I went and did a speaking engagement in Florida. Then I was going to go up and swim the Hudson River and then go climb the Grand Teton. I'm happy I did not go do the Hudson River that year because I, I don't know that I would have made it to the top of the mountain. But, um, but uh, anyway, so I'm going to go do it again this year in August uh, as a fundraiser. And uh, yeah, so anyway. That's what I got going on as far as that goes, but kind of going full circle. So CBD, how did that turn into coaching? Well, before, before well, you get, we get there, okay. I, I want to know how you came up with the name naked warrior, because when I think naked, I think certain things and that's my brand, but I'm sure it's not the same as your brand. <laughs> 
So the, the Naked Warrior, it's a great question. So the Naked Warrior is the predecessor to today's Navy SEAL. So a little, a little history lesson. If you've ever seen the movie Saving Private yep. Ryan, that first scene where they, they cross the beach, go into Normandy, prior to that assault, that was months and months and months in the making. Prior to that assault, the Navy went out and they found uh, guys who could swim and they were good with demolitions. And then they came up with a plan where these guys would swim into the beach late at night and they would do reconnaissance of the beach. They would take notes on a, on a slate, on a little slate that they wore around their neck. And if you can see that guy right over there, or let me see if my shirt has it right there. Yeah. This little guy, um, they would, you know what? I didn't know this was gonna be show and tell. So this little guy. So they would wear a slate around their neck that they would you know, have a grid. And so that grid was about, like every 25 yards would be the, the, the length of the beach. Uh, other, other notes would go in there. And so they would swim in, they would uh, take reconnaissance of the beach, like obstacles on the beach, fighting German fighting positions. And then they'd swim back into the water and they would space themselves out about 25 yards, get online and they would measure the depth of the water with a string and with knots in it every six feet for fathoms because water is measured in fathoms. And uh, they would measure the depth of the water. They would write down, you know, what that depth was, where they were in line. And, um, and then they would dive underwater and they would look for any obstacles that might be underwater uh, to prevent the landing craft coming in. And then they would, you know, come back up at, in about 25 yards, pop up, get back online. If there was an obstacle, they would mark the obstacle on their slate. And then they would just do that for thousands of yards of beats. It took them, it took them weeks to go and do that, but they would go back to the ship uh, off the coast and they would chart everything out. And that's the intel that, the, that they used to do that saving Private Ryan assault on Normandy. Then they decommissioned that, that unit. Uh, actually, before that assault on Normandy, these guys would go back in and they would put demolitions on obstacles on the beach. They would blow holes in the, in the Constantina wire um, blow obstacles that were in the water, like as like as the chart dun dun dun, like these guys were already on the beach, like blowing shit up, and they took about seventy percent casualties uh, during that operation, and then they de decommissioned the, the that team. Well, fast forward to the the island campaign in the Pacific, where the Japanese had taken over a bunch of islands. Marines were going in to you know take back these islands, and they would hit these barrier reefs that were around the islands. And the Marines would run off with like 60, 80 pounds of gear on their back, run across these reefs thinking they're in three feet of water and then drown in 30 feet of water on the other side. So the Navy went back, recommissioned these teams, and uh, they were called, you know, they were called underwater demolition teams where they would go in, they would do reconnaissance of, of the beaches, they would find these reefs, they would blow holes in the reefs so that the Marines could go in and do the things that they needed to do. Um, so they basically went into combat wearing, you know, a slate around their neck, a mask, on their face, some fins and little tiny little little, little shorts. We called UDT shorts, underwater demolition team shorts. Uh, so basically they look like naked warriors going into combat. So, you know, they they started, you know, that commit that team stayed active. Uh, they became underwater demolition team. And then in 1962, uh, they were officially uh, the name was changed from underwater demolition team to US Navy SEALs. And so they were the the predecessor of today's Navy SEAL. So if you if you see my hat or my shirt or anything, you know, so Naked Warrior Recovery is is a is a is a head nod to um to to sort of my my time in the SEAL teams and the predecessors that that came before me. 
But uh, so as I kind of went down this road of, of CBD and, and my own sort of self-healing, what I realized is I had to, I had to like take off this ego that I was wearing around this, like, you know, I, I'm a man. That's just how I roll. And I have since I was a child. Um, you know, I, I never wanted to look weak or insignificant or vulnerable in any way, shape or form. And so at some point that doesn't serve, like that serves you in some capacity, but not in, in, you know, having a healthy lifestyle or relationships or anything else. So what I realized is I had to like, take this ego off, take this armor that I was wearing around off, take that off and expose myself and become vulnerable so that I could find the healing that I actually needed. And, you know, kind of what I was thinking about is I was like, you know, when I would go into combat, we would put our armor on our helmet on, we would, you know, in armored vehicles, we'd go into harm's way. And sometimes that armor save, you know, was, was critical to have. Uh, but we would come back and we would take that armor off, we would hit the showers, you know, rest, recover, get ready for the next mission. And so I was like, well, you basically I had to go get naked to get to recover so I could get ready for the next mission. And so get naked became sort of a mantra about taking that ego, taking that armor, taking that mask that you're hiding behind off. So you can find the healing that you actually need. Become vulnerable, be, be brave. Like that's the hardest thing to do. Be brave enough to get naked. Be brave enough to be vulnerable enough to, to actually ask for help, which is one of the hardest things that men do for sure. Women are wired a little bit differently, not all women. But generally, they go talk to their girlfriends about whatever. Um, and so they have a huge advantage on it. And that's, you know, why the project and man-made and, and other coaching groups that I'm a part of, why it's important. It's about, you know, taking that ego off and, and you know, asking for help. And uh, so anyway, that, that's, that's where the name came from. That's awesome. I mean, I did not know that that was the entire story behind that. I mean... Did that come easily to you? Like, did you know, like, yeah, I know exactly what I want to name it? Um, no, but I was playing around with a couple names. I was playing around with UDT, Recovery. I was afraid to use Naked Warrior and get naked because I'm, you know, I'm kind of a modest guy. I don't, if you, <laughs> you, you may not, you may not get that. I've, and I, maybe I've come out of my shell a little bit uh, since then, but I was like, who's going to like, now, you know, i if I go to my daughter's school, I might not wear a shirt that says get naked. I might wear a logo shirt, but I might, but I might for sure wear a hat that says get naked, which is funny. My, my wife just said to me today, she was like, so we're, we're going to be dog sitting and duck sitting. So one of her friends has a duck that she found in a, in a, in a, those sticky mouse traps and she cleaned it. So now it's their pet duck. Well, I guess we're going to duck sit. And she's like, she's like, can you, at least put a shirt on when so-and-so comes over. Like this is a common, a common theme in my house because <laughs> you know, I live in Hawaii, like yeah. whatever. Um, but yeah, she just hit me up today about like, can you just put a shirt on and, you know, be presentable when so-and-so comes over? I'm like, yeah, I'm, yes, ma'am. Whatever you say. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there was a point, a point to that, but, uh, but yeah, it, anyway, but yeah, everything I wear says get naked. My presentation that I'm going to give at the Silverback Summit it's about getting naked. It's going to be something a little bit different, different than it's part of the, what I just told right. you, but it'll be some other stuff like five secrets to help you think like a Navy SEAL. You'll get a preview of it um, at Bedros's event in September. And uh, Chad has had it, has already seen it. Uh, <laughs> I, I plan to chat, Chad, I'm, I'm going to just be prepared. I'm going to call you out in, in every, every Thank time you. you're in the audience, just so you know. <laughs> 
excited <laughs> for him to be there though. And honestly, at, at Silverback, you can be naked if you like. It's that kind of event. Anything goes. I absolutely <laughs> have no sense of TMI or any censorship or restrictions there, but I, I actually, I love the sentiment behind it though. And what you said, because it is so true since I coach men, guys do not talk a lot about their issues, their, and, and not only sexual performance, but I'm talking about anything. Like women are very social. They'll walk in the locker room. They'll talk about anything. Dudes do not at all. And, no. and I'm guessing that's part of what drove you to start mentorship groups too for guys. Actually, and, and this kind of goes back to something I talked about earlier about, you know, uh, kind of your self-worth and limiting beliefs is, so first I started coaching with Bedros on, you know, I launched Naked Warrior Recovery March 1st of 2020, the, the, website went, the website went live. Right after that, something weird happened in the world. I don't really remember what it was, but uh, some, some, I, I had some extra time on my hands. And uh, so Bader started a like a seven day ignition something I don't remember what I'm like here take my money, yeah. uh, I, and, and and it's funny because if you if you rewind I was like why would anyone pay for coaching like this is weird that's like I don't understand that, but also another part of me was like you know in the SEAL teams we don't just think we know everything we actually go out and we hire people to come and teach us how to be better better shooters when I was teaching sniper school we would go to long range shooting schools guys that just do this long range shooting thing for a living. Like they are really the best in the world. We're really good and we're the best at what we do, but we don't only shoot long distance. We there's shooting long distance is, is like 10% of what we do as a sniper. So we want to be better at what we do and what we're teaching to make our students better. And, you know, as we go into combat and, and things like that. Um, so I, I was like, why would anyone do that? And I was like, well, you know what? I don't actually know what the hell I'm doing over here uh, to run a company. And so Bedros, he's a pretty smart guy. He knows about business. And so we just started like, so I signed up for that. And then I signed up for the next one. And then I signed up for, uh, and then I did the, the Hudson River swim. And, uh, and, and, and so Ray and Bedros, they were, you know, they were starting to, to do business together. And, um, and so Bedros was going to have an in-person event at the headquarters in Chino Hills. And so I was like, so I texted Bedros. I'm like, hey man, are you still having that in-person thing? I didn't sign up for it. He was like, no, Governor uh, Newsom Leaney, Newsom Leaney, like uh, Newsom Leaney, that's what he said, uh, shut us down, like we can't, but there's nothing that says that two friends can't um, have lunch together. So I went and swam across the Hudson River. That was, that was a pretty hard event. I came back, stopped in, in, uh, in, in California, I texted Bedros. I'm like, hey man, see you tomorrow. He's like, you're in town? <laughs> He's like, you're in town? I'm like, yeah, we, we were going to like have lunch tomorrow. He's like, hold on. And so he, I don't know what he had going yeah. on, but he cleared his schedule. Again, I'm thinking we're going to have lunch. I, I'm sure we're going to talk business, but whatever. And so he, he's like, check. And Bedros is, he's, he's a, he is fucking awesome. Like he, he comes with a giving hand and that's something that he teaches. And so he's like, all right, meet me at, at HQ at, at 1 PM. Like what, what, you know, what kind of coffee do you want? I'm like large, big and black, like I like my men, whatever. And, uh, and, uh, we roll in and, and, uh, and he gives me a fucking half day coaching session. Wow. And I was like, like, I wasn't really prepared for that at all. I was kind of prepared to talk business and numbers and whatever. Yeah. And so, and so he was like, so one of the, the things that he told me then was you need, like, since you, like, I'm like, I can't do all the stuff that you teach. 
Like I need to, I need to think differently. I need to think outside the box. I need to, but I don't know what the hell I'm doing. He's like, okay, what you need to do is you need to get on the biggest podcast that you possibly can. Like make a, like a top 20, 25 list of podcasts that you want to be on and be unrealistic about being on those podcasts. And, and I'm like, okay. And my, the first podcast in my mind was like the Bajos Coolian show, or actually it was the empire, the empire show back then, not the Bajos Coolian show now. Um, and he was like, but I, that just to myself and I'm like Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, blah, blah, whatever. And, but Bajos was of course at the top because he was my friend, a mentor whatever. And then he turns to me, he's like, you want to be on, like, he reached out to a bunch of people and they were all like, we're not sure about CBD. We're not sure about this. We're not sure about that, blah, 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 whatever. So he was like, you want to be on my show? I'm like, fuck yeah. Like, you don't like before the words came out of his mouth. And so that was to this day when that episode came out and it doesn't even have like that many downloads or at least I've looked on YouTube um, to this day outside of the following black Friday, that's the biggest day of or month of sales that I've had. Wow. Since I started. Um, so that was fucking awesome. And I'm always grateful to him for that. And so from that, you know, from that point, I, I, I actually hooked up with a copywriter who connected me to another one of my coaches and his, his name is Sharon Shrivatsa. Uh, who took a company that was doing $300 million a year and sold it five years later for $3.4 billion. And so, so I have Bedros and Sharon as, as two of my coaches. Um, but Bedros was like, Hey, get on podcasts. So I started getting on podcasts and, and that was like the value of that was me figuring out what the hell my story was. What value do I actually have to bring? And then, you know, I had other people saying, Hey, why aren't you coaching? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? I'm like, what, what value do I have? I, who am I? Who's going to listen to me? What do I have to share? Blah, blah, blah. So doing all the podcasts helped me kind of figure out what my brand is, helped me figure out what my message is, helped me figure all this other stuff out. Um, and then and then also both Bedros and Sharon, they're like, yo, you need to start speaking. You need to create a, fig a signature presentation. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to speak about? Um, so I've figured all that stuff out, but I had to have a coach to yeah. get there. And then, you know, kind of going back to coaching, you know, I, I know that Sharon was for sure like, yo, why aren't you coaching? I'm like, coach what? I don't know anything. And so I, I actually had an organization ask me to start coaching for them. They were paying me pennies on the dollar. And I'm like, I guess this is like a paid internship. And so I started this sort of paid internship. I already had like a, a one or two private coaching clients that were paying me directly. And, uh, and the value, like i and I've had this conversation with Bedros. He's like, so if you were to focus on CBD or coaching, which would it be? I'm like coaching because of the value. Like I'm not leaving CBD. Like the, the amount of people that I've helped through CBD has been tremendous. But the other impact of coaching people, both men and women, has been even, even greater. So I'm not leaving either one of them. Um, but, you know, I'm, I want to put more effort into coaching. And so I had, you know, all these people from this sort of paid internship uh, which helped boost my confidence. Like, oh, I actually do know what I'm doing. Maybe I, I do provide value. And so, um, so now it's like, that's, that's my focus is, is, is coaching, coaching people, uh, both men and women, business leadership mindset. You know, I help, I help leaders lead their team. Like it's a SEAL team. I help uh, leaders turn their employees into team members. Uh, and also help with a lot of other stuff. Um, help with mindset and, and things like that. Here's a quick story. I, I can't share who it is, 
but I had a, 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 I have a coaching client who's, he's a Jew and, you know, he's, you know, like very, very deep in his faith. And he was like, he's, he's doing very well for himself. Okay. And he's like, you know, I'm kind of stuck. Like I got, like when business is hard, like I've really cracked down. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's get you unstuck. Let's do some physical, like he's got some physical things that he wants to like improve about himself. And uh, I'm like, all right, here's the deal. We're going to like, we're going to get you where you want to go, but you got to like, it's got to suck. It's got to hurt. Like you need to be financially strapped right now. And he's got millions of dollars. Right. And so I'm like, let's figure out a plan. And so, and this has been in the last two days. He, I'm like, so if you don't reach your, your weight loss goal that you want, then you donate $50,000 to uh, children of Hamas or some terrorist organization and he was like, no fucking way. I'm not fucking doing that. La, 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 la. And I just let it sit. I'm like, okay, why don't you go think about it and let me know later. He's like, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to think about what charity I want to donate to. Cause I was like, oh, I've got charities for you to donate to all day long. Yeah. No, no, that's not like, I want it to fucking hurt. If you fail, I want it to fucking hurt. And I want you to be all in. And so he was like, like he, he like texted me the next day. He was like, so I, um, I'm going to do this thing. This is what I want to lose. This is where I want to be. And, and I don't do fitness coaching, but apparently I do. Cause I have three clients that I'm like working on that. Um, I, and he's like, and I want to donate to like some stupid, like stupid puppy charity. And I did not reply. And then later that night, he's like, okay, you win. If I don't fucking make it, it's $50,000 to like whatever children of Hamas, I could pull up the text and, and tell you exactly what it was. But, uh, but, but people need to be pushed people need. To, and I didn't know that I, that was my thing. So now I, you know, I, I do, I do the project with Bedros. I do my own one-on-one -on -one coaching clients for, you know, those sorts of things, life coaching from life coaching to fitness to whatever. And I also uh, have a, a business with a, a business partner called man-made where we focus specifically on men, helping men to become men again, helping men to um, do hard things, help them to overcome obstacles in their lives that, you know, they, they might not be the right fit for the product. It's, it's actually the opposite of the project. Right. We still go out and we do really hard things. You know, sometimes it gets physical and they get punched in the face because they've never been in a fist fight or anything else. They do a lot of workouts. We go do really hard things. You know, again, that's the Grand Canyon, the Grand Teton, DECA races, things like that, that we, that we do, but we, you know, to help men level up to where they need to be in life, physically, mentally, emotionally, same sort of, you know, five F-bombs, faith, family, fitness, finances, future, uh, applies across the board. And so it's not like this, it's not, it's not the project kind of beat down. It's a different kind of beat down, but we are always kind of, you know, helping lift them up. And we're out there doing the same kind of, you know, kicking the, kicking the ass that, that they're doing maybe a little bit less because we're still running the thing, but, uh, you know, we lead by example. I love that. That's freaking awesome. And it's cool how like everything came to be, because it wasn't like, you know, right. I, I don't love anymore when people used to ask, like, what's your five-year plan? And I'm like, I don't know my fucking one-week plan. Like, I don't, know. I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. Yeah. Let me look at my calendar. Hold on. Plans yeah. that far ahead. And it's like, we all have ended up where we are because we didn't really know what we were going to do the next day, you know? Like, and it's cool how you've ended up where you are now and where you're going and the people that you've surrounded yourself with. And like, you and I now have like so many mutual acquaintances and friends and you call my clients out. Chad, we're talking to you, you know, who Chad, Chad, Chad you're going down. Everyone buddy. wants to be like him. They <laughs> hate him. Like 
you know, in a good way. Like Nick's one of them. He's like, damn it. What are you doing with him? And I'm like, yo, he's no different than you, you know, guys. genetics. Genetics is a real it thing. Is, so. yes. <laughs> like I, I wish I could like take some sort of serum and help you guys all clone to be each other to have, you know, a 14 pack, but it doesn't work that way. Um, right. But it's cool. I, I like so Chad Chad wore a shirt the other day on on Instagram and it said it's not a dad bod it's a father figure I'm like I'm stealing that shit I'm gonna call it my own Chad just so you know I don't know if it's your shirt or someone else's shirt but I'm stealing He'll that probably shit. bring you one now he's that kind because I like because I really like I like posting you know whatever topless photos of myself that are you know I'm like dad bod over here this is what a dad bod should look like yeah yeah that's on Father's Day I. And I don't feel like, and I'm nowhere near Chad, like not even close, or Nick. We're all trying to be though, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we, of course. Well, why not? Like that's, that's you know, like never peak, like keep going for the next oh, yeah. goal. Keep like, like once you, and that, that was something that I certainly have struggled with in, in my life. We all, and I think everyone does this, you know, you hit this goal and you're like, okay, now what? I graduated SEAL training. Like, okay, now what? I've graduated the hardest military training in the world. So what? Who cares? Yeah. Now fucking prove yourself as a, as a Navy SEAL. Oh, oh, okay. Now, oh, that's when the real work starts. So, um, so yeah, anyway, so the way that I, so it was a very long roundabout way that I got to coaching. It was out of starting a CBD company by failing and suffering and whatever. Okay, this gave, oh, I don't know how to run a company. I don't know market. Okay, get coaching for that. Oh, why aren't you coaching? Why aren't you speaking? Why aren't you doing all these things? So all the things that I do now are things that I swore, swore I would never do. I'll never be in sales. I will never uh, be one of those speakers on stage, like saying like fucking rah, rah, whatever. I'll never be uh, one of those life coaches, whatever the fuck that is. I'm all three of those things. I don't know how I got here, but I got here. Never say never. I guess that's what I'm saying. What's that? never say never no that it yeah like honestly just let it ride see where shit takes you because you never know what you're going to be good at because you just might fall into it like i literally right. was training golfers and then it brought me all dudes and i was like okay these guys don't talk about hormones and they actually don't really talk about shit and golfers were fronting with I want to hit the ball farther, but really like, I want my abs to pop. And then, you know, you learn about guys never in a million fucking years. Did I think graduating exercise science, I'd end up in men's health. Like, how does that happen? But you know what? We all end up where we're supposed to be by right. how, you know, our character was formed. As long as you just keep moving in a direction, it doesn't matter what the direction is. I, I think that's where a lot of people fall short is they, they don't know where to go. So they don't move. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's this sort of thought about like, you should always be moving and it doesn't matter. They're like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Who fucking cares? Just start fucking moving. So if you think about it, like uh, uh, you have two, you're walking along, you're in the wilderness, you're, you're parched, you're dehydrated, you're going to die of, of, you know, dehydration if you don't get some water and you come across two bodies of water. One is a stagnant pond and one is, is, a, is a, a babbling brook, a little stream. Which one are you going to drink out of? You're going to drink out of the stagnant water? Are going to drink out of the flowing water? The stagnant water is death. Yeah. The flowing water is life. So just keep moving. And the and the the rip the stream doesn't care where it goes. It's going and it's going to bounce off this thing. It's going to head that way. It's it's going to go where it's supposed to go. So you just keep moving. You're going to end up where you're supposed to be. But if you stop moving, you're going to like it's death. 
And it's okay to say, hey, I need help. And that's kind of why you do what you Be brave enough to ask for Absolutely. help, for fuck's sake. That's why, literally why I created Silverback Summit, so that we could have all aspects of help in the same room delivered in a very unfiltered way and entertaining and fun because what's life without as it should yeah. be that's how it's that's how life is supposed to be we are all too serious about stuff. thank you um this has been amazing so anybody who would want to hire you for coaching or is interested in naked warrior products how do they best find you and buy the products I'm going to break a rule that I'm not supposed to break. Um, I'm going to say I love that. <laughs> you're supposed to have like a business, whatever, like you're supposed to have one place for everyone to go for everything. And then they can branch out from there. So what I'll say is for CBD, go to nw-recovery.com. And we didn't talk about a discount code, but I'd like to give your people, uh, your listeners a discount code. We'll just call it Ali20, A-L-I-2-0. Sure. Or boner twenty, Ellie or boner, but Ellie. Oh, shoulder. we could we could do boner. I'll do I'll do both of those. <laughs> B o n e r two zero. Um, I know I don't have those codes designated for anyone else. <laughs> I don't um, want to get you banned any more than you already do for that. So. No, it's it's all good. It's all internal to my own website. <laughs> uh, and if you want to think like learn to think like a Navy SEAL, you go to the website five the number five five sealsecrets.com and fill out the information. If you want to do any coaching with me, read what I have to say. And then um, if you want to do coaching or have me speak or anything else, just, you know, reply to that email, check your spam. Cause sometimes my email do go into spam, um, but check your spam and then reply to that email that does come directly to me. And, and then we can have that conversation. Uh, but again, it was for CBD it's nw-recovery.com or nakedwarriorrecovery.com. Um, I, I changed it to nw-recovery because I didn't know if every, anyone, everyone wanted to write naked in their search engine. I don't know why. It was just an epiphany I had one day. So, uh, so, uh, so nw-recovery or nakedwarriorrecovery.com. And again, you know, discount codes are alley 20 or boner 20. I love that. <laughs> just for you. <laughs> you are the best. Thank you so much, Will. Yes, ma'am.